Pastor, scripture this morning is from Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And this is what it says. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let us pray. Lord, this is your year and this is your church. We pray you speak to us this morning through our pastor, that you would anoint him to preach your word, and that we'd be ready to hear it, and we'd be ready to do what he calls us to do and what you call us to do this morning. Open our ears and open our hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. What a wonderful worship service that we've experienced in the year 2020 already. We're going to go in this thing with a blast, and by the time the year is up, we're going to, you talk about a blast, we're going to have a blast, amen? But we are here to worship the Lord. When Brother Chuck got up and told uh, uh, the, you about the scripture that the Lord laid upon his heart, I thought my heart was going to leap out of my chest because it's the very thing that the Lord is speaking to me. Isn't God wonderful speaking the same thing to his people? God gives confirmation of his word. I want to read the scripture just one more time, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. I'm going to read it in the New King, King James Version. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in this desert. Here we are going into another year, and with each new year, it's not only progressively closing out the older generation, but it's springing forth a new generation. With each new year, there's a part of the past that is dying out and fading out, and in return, there is a part of the new that is actually springing forward. And when I talk about part, I want you to understand something. Every, next year, there'll be a part of the old fade out, part of the new come in. The next year after that, part of the old fading out and a part of the new coming in until it forms what we call a new generation. And with each new generation comes many challenges because there's a change in philosophy and belief with every generation. There's a change in the, in the fundamental nature of knowledge and reality and existence. What one generation once believed and accepted as normal behavior, moral, ethical, and right, the next generation may or may not hold to the same forms of belief. The change of belief then sets what we call a new culture, developing its own moral and ethical code that will determine the way that one behaves and the way that one lives. That can either be good or that could be bad because a person's behavior comes from whatever he believes. Out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In other words, whatever's on the inside is going to be lived on the outside. You'll not be able to, you'll not be able to hide it. Whatever you have come to embrace and believe as truth is what you as an individual will live out. As a matter of fact, the same is true in the church world as well because cult Culture has a way of changing it from its original start or from its original beginning. The first generation of any movement is usually radically transformed. They're born again, they're saved, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're passionate about what they're doing. The second generation usually is grateful and they live transformation indirectly. What do I mean by that? They enjoy its fruit, its security, its benefits, and its provisions, but they mainly form to a life of tradition that is void of the experience and they only know God from a distance. They know him in their head 
but they have not really come to experience him to where they can really believe him in his heart. They may protect the beliefs of what they, they see, but refrain from the experiencing God in direct, uh, directly. The third generation sadly even loses the traditions and the religious ties to the movement, and they drift into complacency, not knowing God at all. We see that in the book of Judges. We see that there was a generation that knew God, then we seen that there was a generation that knew of God, and then we seen that there was a generation that knew not God. But the first generation knows God radically. Now, I want you to understand, let me clarify where I'm going with this, is when I say the first generation, I'm talking about the first generation of any movement. What is a movement? It's when God births something into existence. A movement can happen in 2015, and it can be the first generation. Can I have an amen? Let me start right here and say that God is wanting to birth a new movement at the Palace of Praise, and he wants us to be the first generation to experience it. Can I have an amen? That God's wanting to birth something new in the earth, and he wants us to be the first generation in order to experience it. But there, are, you know, when I'm talking about generations, sometimes we look back and say, okay, we're talking about this group of people, this group of people, this group of people, but I'm not just talking about the age groups. I'm talking about when God does something in the earth, he may do it in a church, he may do it in a home, he may do it in a whatever. When God begins to birth something, that is the first generation of that movement of what God is doing. And if it ain't careful, within 10 to 15 years, the other generation that comes up under them will then passively like it, enjoy the benefits of it, they'll like the protection of it, but they'll not embrace it as passionately as the first generation. And by the third generation, after years and years begin to go by, that third generation of squandered away if we're not careful. And I'm here to tell you that we have done too much squandering already. Can I have an amen? And as a result of squandering away the moves of God of the past, God is saying, that's okay because I will have a remnant that I'm going to do something new in in these last days that's going to blow the blow apart this world again for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of that remnant, I want you to stand up. I want you to give God the highest praise that you can give him and say, God, allow me to be a part of that remnant. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, we want to be a part of what God's going to do. Pass us not by. Praise the name of the Lord. I said praise the name of the Lord, saints. Hallelujah. This is the hour. This is the day. It's not what has been that's important. It's about what is to be that's important. It's about who we're becoming, not what we have been. Can I have a, our past has been good, but our present day state, is not, it can't even compare to what we're going to be here just before this year is over. Can I have an amen? Am I speaking to you here today? Amen. Everything that's going on is clouding our vision, got us off focus of the reality of who God is. It doesn't matter what's going on on the news. It don't matter what's going on in Iran. It doesn't matter all the negatives, even some of the negatives that I am fixing to share with you. It does not matter because God has promised in his sovereign word that he's going to do a new thing in our midst. Can I have an amen? 
due to the ever-increasing schism between the old generation and the new. There are many denominations and uh, churches as well trying to figure out how to reach and to win the generation that is void of God within our culture because that is our mission is to win the people that are void of God within our culture. And many churches are testing new paths of evangelization and amid the troubling times of the church in the United States. Whether you know it or not, uh, the churches in the United States are declining at a rapid speed. Matter of fact, there are the whole denominations, some denominations has dropped over 30 to 50% in one year. Can you imagine? We, if, we, if we keep going in these trends, we'll not be able to sustain and have what we call a Christian nation. We will be in trouble. And as a result of it, churches are getting together, even across denominational lines, saying, we've got to do something. We are all, every single one of us, every, even those that show a little bit of growth in the denomination, it is transfer growth from another church, and it's not been people being born again and being saved. And we're having trouble in America. The non-denominational churches, that they exploded for several years. Back in the 1980s and 90s, even the part of the first 2005, 2010, non-denominational people were leaving the denominational churches and going to non-denominational churches by the thousands. And as a result, people were being attracted to that movement and people were being saved. But even they are having their difficulties now. They say the non-denominational churches has lost their fears. They say that even the non-denominational churches are on the downcline and they're losing people rapidly. As a matter of fact, in some cities that I've been getting to study that there are empty buildings all over the place where there were non-denominal churches that went out and started something and it went up to 500, 600 real fast, but within five years it was now a non-existing congregation. What is happening in America? How are we going to be able to survive? Well, first of all, it is particularly acute among those that are age of 40. It's the people from age 40 and under that is actually leaving the church and it is the younger generation that's not attracted to the church. And the the church is trying to figure out what is this generation looking for? And the concerns of the church is whether religious denomination and churches can deliver it while remaining true to their doctrines when they find out what this this generation's looking for. In other words, uh, when we find out what they're looking for, can we uh, accommodate them and still stay biblically true? We cannot violate scripture in order and compromise scripture in order to win a generation. Can I have an amen? These are the central questions that pastors and leaders and churches and places of worship are asking themselves. A recent poll that was taken among the youth of our nation suggested that record numbers of them are increasingly rejecting associations with any faith. As a matter of fact, what we're seeing in the headlines, in all of the major religious news stations, magazines, literatures, and broadcasts, they suggest that the church is not only not reaching or winning the youth of America, but they're losing their youth by the age of 19 in most churches. Not only are we not winning the youth of America, but we're losing our youth by the age of 19 in most churches across the nation. One of the reasons that we are looking, losing youth, generation they call Z, I don't know why, is because we're losing the millennials as well. A big part of the young millennials, not the older millennials, but the younger millennials, those that are at the end of a generation, they're leaving the church. They're leaving it by the groves according to statistics. And remember that the generation closest to you always has the biggest influence over you and the millennials have the biggest influence on Generation Z. 
In other words, when you was a kid, who had the most influence on you? A guy 70 years old and you're 13 years old? Or you being a 13-year-old, did the 20-year-old have more influence? Come on, help me preach. The people that had the most influence in my life, my dad had influence. It was called a belt. Amen? And he corrected those things when I got out of sync. Amen? He had a lot of influence when he pulled that thing out. But nevertheless, I was attracted not to the age of the people of the age of my father when I was 13. I was attracted to the 19 years old and the 20 years old. They were the cool generation. They the ones I looked at. They were the one I wanted to hang around. Come on, somebody preach. And the reason that we're losing Generation Z is because there's not a fire in the generation called the young millennials. Can I, can I have an amen? Hang with me. Now, in an attempt to do something in a, a, a new evangelism outreach, there was a guy by the name of Bishop Robert Barron who actually began in fielding questions on Reddit. Reddit, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which is a massive online message board center that you can go on and post things and, and you can draw people in and you, they can, you can have them ask you questions and, 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 you, can, and you can dialogue with one another. And these millennials and Generation Z make up the most of the community on that thing called Reddit. And each generation, as you all know, have a nickname. Have you ever heard of the baby boomers? Have you ever heard of Generation X? Have you heard of the millennials? Well, this new generation, for some reason, is called Generation Z. Maybe because Z's at the end of the alphabet, and it's the last generation maybe before the Lord comes back. Can I have an amen? Oh, hallelujah. That would preach right there. That just came to me. Amen. But Bishop Barron found out that the new generation isn't afraid to speak or to ask questions or to speak their mind. And matter of fact, he gets on there and he's, begin, and he's wanting to dialogue about God and bring them into a discussion about who God is trying to somehow bring some conviction upon their lives and, and somehow assimilate them in the church. Instead of them asking questions about God, we see them asking questions that involve the moral failure of the church. He had hundreds upon hundreds of inquiries and accusations about the pre-sex scandals that's on television. Other explanations for the faith community struggles to attract the youth consisted of immorality, sexual, uh, sexual misconduct, money laundering, moral failure, dishonesty, church splits, church fights among the church leaders and members. In other words, they're asking questions, why is this going on in your church? If you're really a church and if you're really these, this is a place where God comes down and why are these things happening? And according to the American Enterprise Institute survey released in the month of December of 2019, it suggests that family bonds strain ties to faith also. What does that mean? They suggested that it was the absence of strong religious convictions among parents that made, them, made the children and, and the youth question God, faith, and religion. Parents being one way at church and another way at home made the children wonder the realness and the authenticity of God himself. That they would come to the house of God and they would see certain things and then they would go home and they would see something that was totally contrary and it made them question and that went on. If God wasn't real at home, then what makes him real at the church when they go have all these experiences? Come on. Pollisters say that the best that we can tell, it's not that the disaffected, they call youths, are rejecting God. We look at this new generation, if we're not careful, we'll look at them with pious, 
uh, no, with a, pie, a piousness and, will, and self-centered and self-righteousness and will judge this Generation Z as a bunch of heathens that don't know God. And actually, when they studied it out, they said these children are not actually rejecting God as we suppose. The Pew Research Center says they just don't want or need God. They don't want the God and religion that's been portrayed to them and lived in front of them. They don't want the God that they have witnessed at home and church. That kind of God really doesn't have anything to offer them, nor are they attracted to it. Therefore, in reality, it is the church's fault the way that they are, not their own. God help us. Are you hearing me? They say that the new Generation Z is looking for realness, something that they can actually believe in. Studies show that this new Generation Z are not opposed to faith, but they're not easily persuaded, nor are they easily taken in. Instead, they are not only curious shoppers, but they're very careful shoppers. And they are somewhat skeptical of fully embracing any movement, denomination, or church that they may not completely trust. And even though the church, church, uh, is, in, the church is in decline in America, yet religious association is also stalemated on the decline as well. What did I mean by that? Faith such as Islam, which is at 1% in America, Hinduism, 1% in America, Judaism, 2% in America, and I could go on and on and on, have just maintained their numbers as a percentage of the overall population. In other words, Generation Z isn't so easily persuaded or convinced by them either. In other words, not only is the church not reaching them, the false religions ain't reaching them either because they're not buying into anything religious. This generation is cautious. They're hesitant. They're not easily convinced, nor are they won over easily. So you know what that means? The church has got to have consistency, and they got to be persistent in their approach to this generation. they got to, they got to have what we call the one of the fruits of the Spirit, long-suffering and patience with this generation. This generation feels like that they've been violated, that they've been thrown away, and that they've been discarded. There seems to be no purpose or no vision in their lives whatsoever. The biggest influence over this generation right now is what they call secularization. This means that they are not going to be subject, they're not going to subject themselves or bind themselves to any religious system. They're not going to serve systems. It's not going to happen. Nor are they going to waste their time and energy propping up something that can't sustain itself just so that they can keep it alive for the next generation to enjoy. They're not going to be churchy. They're not going to be religious. They're not even going to be traditional. They're tired of endless labor with no return. They're not going to join any religious group easily, and most of their time will be spent on other things that have no religious or spiritual basis whatsoever. This makes them very difficult to attract and to win over. This generation is not going to win or be won over easily. Can I have an amen? This generation is calling on the church to make substantial changes, but not just changes in their branding. They're tired of that. They're not looking for the latest fad, a different cover, a different look, a different change in the name of the church. And that's what the churches are doing to try to win them. If we'll change this, if we'll change that, we'll change our name, we'll do this, we'll do that. And you know what? This, this group is not looking for us to repackage the church. It's not about fad, it's not about fashion, and it's not about fantasy. I want you to know this generation is not attracted to the fads like we think they are. 
Can I have an amen? This generation is looking for realness. And until the church can produce it, they're not going to buy into it. The church does not have to compromise their doctrine to win this generation. Because I want to tell you, the only thing that sets people free is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people that will be true to their doctrine. Can I have an amen? They're looking for somebody that will be authentic and real and not compromise and repackage and repaint and turn around. And every time you turn around, they're changing their vision to accommodate a culture. Every time they turn around, they're changing this and changing that and changing this and changing that. Well, it's not wrong to change and keep up with the times, but change just for change's sake is not going to win over the youth. They want to see a congregation that is spirit-filled, alive, and well, and that that spirit that's inside the church is not only working in the church, but it's working outside of the church among its members as well. Lived out. One of the studies also showed that even though this generation is somewhat critical, over analytical, and untrusting, yet there's a spiritual longing that is as deep as it's ever been that they're hungry. They're so hungry. There was so longing. There's such want, desire in this younger generation. Within the studies, there was one particular thing that was singled out among the specific group, meaning the young millennials, not the older millennials. You know, every generation, you got an older part of a generation, you got the younger part of a generation. Things change and shift, the things overlap in generations. The younger millennials and the, the generation Z, they found that the biggest percentage of their focus was on community and belonging. They wanted a sense of purpose. They want community. They want belonging. They want to fit in. They want to be fulfilled by belonging to something that has purpose and that's driven by a sense of vision. They don't want a self-serving church that goes through the religious motions and orders and traditions every Sunday while nothing ever moves or changes. They're tired of going into a congregation and that congregation remained the same over a 20-year period. They're tired of going in and going through the songs, going through the rhetoric, going through the tradition, going through the mechanics, doing and offering up the same thing, but really having no results whatsoever in the kingdom of God. They're wanting more than that. Can I have an amen? They want a servant-driven church that's on the move. They don't want a church whose ministries are all on the inside of the church, but they are a generation that wants to take it to the streets and see their world change for the glory of Jesus Christ. They want what has been experienced inside the church be a tangible reality on the outside by its members to prove the realness and the authenticity of God. They want to say, hey, the way you act in the church is the way you need to act in your home and the way that you minister in the church is the way you are to minister to your brother and your neighbor and your co-worker and everything else. The passion that you show in the church should also be lived out and to be exposed and manifested to a lost generation outside of the four walls of the church. In the book of Acts, the church engaged their cities even in the midst of great persecution. In the book of Acts, the Bible says the Christians filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. The Bible says, and they turned the world upside down. In the past here in the good old U.S. of A., and I could give you many, many, many of the revivals that this happened, but I'll give you only one because of time. Pentecostal revivals in the past shut down whole cities like the revival in Los Angeles, California. It was there on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California when a revival broke out on April 14th, 1906 that completely not only whelmed the city 
but literally took over the world, affected not just the United States, but the world. It was led by William J. Seymour, an African-American preacher. The revival was characterized by supernatural experiences. They were accompanied by miracles. There was dramatic worship services, speaking in tongues, interracial mingling. Can you imagine that in the 1905? Interracial mingling. And here they were, something foreign, something new happened in that 1905 meeting. God began to move and people began to break out in radical worship. This morning we had some radical worship, but I want to tell you, this generation don't need to see it on a sporadic sense. They need to see it every time they come through those doors. This church needs to be alive. You say God's great, then prove it every Sunday when you get in here and show that he's great by the way that you worship him. The way that you magnify him. The way that you anticipate him. The way that you engage in your worship. It can't be, well, this service, that service is really good and go through a three-month period where you don't ever see any kind of manifestation whatsoever and the praise thing except people just standing there singing their songs and clapping their hands a little bit. We've got to engage the presence of God. We got to go after it with all of our heart. We got to put everything that we have into it. We got to come in here and say, God, you're the high and lofty one, the one that's worthy of praise. We're going to be like Isaiah and say, I seen the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the smoke filled the room. Can I have an amen? Somehow this congregation's got to get better in engaging the presence of God to where when a generation Z comes in, they'll see the realness of God take place. Can I have an amen? But the difference is, after we experience that kind of a move in here, we better walk it out. And when we walk it out, we got to take it to wherever we're going. Amen? But but this meeting was criticized, though, not only by the secular media, of course it was by the secular world, but also by so-called Christian theologians, those that think they know everything about the spirit world. They were criticized for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox. There was loud music. That's unacceptable. There was extravagant, extrubriant worship. There was these people shouting and dancing. There were people speaking in tongues. There were these things called prophecies and gifts of the Spirit. Don't they know them things were gone away a long time ago? That's what these people were saying. These all bothered these so-called Christian theologians, but one of the ones that bothered them the most was racial mingling. Can you imagine calling yourself a Christian theologian and being against what we would call uh, racial mingling? They were prejudiced. This is what this generation despises. They despise hypocrisy. This generation wants to see a real people, a spirit people, come on, a people full of the fire and the passion of the Holy Spirit. Due to this outpouring in Azusa Street, it affected the world. It was through this revival that prayer propelled men and women into mission. I like the story, and I can't remember the man's name right now. I was going to look it up. I thought, you know what? I ain't got the time to do that, but I'll just tell the story. But there was a certain man, a layman. Every day at lunch, he would, he would bow his head, and he'd have a time of fasting and prayer. People began to notice it, and before long, 
To make a long, long story short, another guy joined in with him, another guy joined in with him. Before long, the whole factory joined in with him. And at lunchtime, the whole factory would fast and pray. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, people started saying, let's form a prayer meeting. And after work, the boss said, you can use the factory. They filled the factory completely up with people praying and seeking the face of God in New York City. And before it was over, a revival sprung out. Bars were shut down. Crime went down. There were multiple thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of people saved during that particular time over a one man praying over his meal and being authentic outside of the church world. But they took, after, after they began to pray, it propelled men and women into mission, and they took it from workplace to workplace, town to town, city to city, state to state. And all of a sudden, Pentecostalism and the Pentecostal fires were carried to North Carolina, where another big revival broke out, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Another big revival broke out, Cleveland, Tennessee, our denomination. Another revival broke out in New York. Another revival broke out. And before long, it went to the four corners of America and started spreading mightily inwardly. And not only was their city set on fire, but all over the world, people were suddenly fellowshipping with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Revivals begin to happen, and guess what began to happen in the early 1900s? The racial walls begin to be torn down, and the segregation of white churches and black churches begin to go away, and for the first time in our history, black and congregations and white congregations begin to join together in a harmony in a worship service. Can you give God praise for that? What's happened in America? We have went down. Somewhere there's been a generation that's dropped the ball. There's more racial tension now than there has been in the last 30 years. What's happened is because the level of authenticity of the belief in God in our country has went down. God help us. Towns, hamlets, brush arbors, tent revivals, schoolhouses turn into revival centers. All over this country, thousands upon tens of thousands were saved over a period of about 30 to 40 years. This is what I long for. This is what I seek. This is what I live for. This is what I'll preach until the day that I die, folks. Here in 2020, Christian leaders are calling on one million people, particularly youth in the United States, to fast and to pray for a divine awakening. And they started it January the 1st all over this country. And they're asking, please, youth, get involved. Please, millennials, get involved. They know if they get the millennials involved that the millennials have a great impact upon Generation Z. One of the things that this study on young millennials and Generation Z also showed was that even though most of them do not hold to any religious affiliation, yet those that were convinced and converted, they became the driving force of faith in their congregation. And they became the firebrands to that church. Hallelujah. You want fire, get a bunch of youth on fire. You want fire, get a bunch of young people on fire. Get a bunch of children on fire for the glory of God. I just don't, under, I don't know why I feel this, but I just feel like something was going to break out in our children's church. I feel like Mike Lampkin's fixing to have his hands full. I'm I think the Spirit of God's fixing to visit this church in the first place he's visiting with our youth. Come on, somebody verify that with me. Hallelujah. 
Mommy, Daddy, don't be embarrassed when little Susie comes out of children's throat to eight years old, speaking in tongues and dancing and falling out in the spirit in the congregation. Don't be intimidated either and run and try to pull her away from it because her lifestyle is convicting you because you've never experienced that yourself. It's time to wake up. Come on, somebody help me preach. It's time the church be the church. Are we Pentecostal? Are we alive? Are we filled with the Holy Ghost and power? Do we believe in signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to the will of God? Do we, need, do we, do we believe in supernatural account, encounters? Do we believe in the miraculous? Do we believe in angel visitation? Get out on a limb. Start laying hands on the sick. Start praying fervently. Start believing God. Start seeing the miraculous move of his spirit in our midst. Come on, worship him, folks. Holy Ghost, you're speaking here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know if I can finish this or not. The glory of the Lord's in this place. Oh, just take a moment and worship him, folks. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. I just feel like I'm going to have to close out this message. I got a lot more to preach, but I want to tell you something. 
is what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us right now. Are you ready? I want to hear to tell you right now, this is what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to this congregation. He's saying, again, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of all. Our focus can't be on what has been. Our focus can't be looking backwards. Our focus has got to be looking forward. Are you listening to me? Quit looking back at what ifs, what could have been, or what has been, and trying to compare it to what is going to be, because I want to tell you, what is going to be is not even going to be packaged like anything of what has been. It ain't going to look the same, sound the same. It ain't going to be packaged the same way. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it because we'll become just like them old Christian theologians because it don't meet our standard of approval. We'll sit there and criticize something that we don't even know what we're criticizing. And we think that we're going to criticize it to protect the church. And in reality, what we are doing is stifling the move of God. And God is speaking to this congregation. And he's telling you to get your focus on the new thing that's coming. To seek after it with all of your heart. Are you listening to me? I mean look forward, not backwards. The key to revival is this generation Z. Don't despise the day of small beginning and don't despise your youth. Give them room to fail. Give them room to try. Give them room to err, but love on them. Embrace them because out of them is the firebrand of the Holy Spirit. God's marked them. God's marked Generation Z. I got another hour of preaching on this. I've done a lot of research. This sermon's gave me more grief than any sermon I've ever preached of the amount of time I put into it, and I'm not even able to finish it. God's stopping us right here. The, the main theme of this, this whole thing is, folks, wake up. Don't look at the former things. Look to the future, for it's in your future that great possibilities are about to happen. Don't try to mimic the past. Though the past was good, it can't compare to what shall be. Here's the thing. He said, I'm going to make a road in the wilderness and I'm going to put rivers like a desert to make it come to pass. He understands the obstacles. He understands the hurdle in winning Generation Z. He knows how over-analytical they are. He understands where they're at. He understands they're not interested in religion. He understands to attract them, it's going to have to take something. In other words, it's going to have to take something that you and I, more than what you and I can produce through the human element. It ain't trying to change our building in order to make it look a certain way so Generation Z will come. It ain't adding lights, even though it's nothing wrong with it. It ain't about the latest fads. Well, that church is doing this. I want to tell you what. The, is going to bring them to the palace of praise is the authenticity of the people in relationship to the move of God. Can I have an amen? And then he said, when the opposition comes, don't worry about it. Even as I made a way through the wilderness for the children of Israel, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness for you. I'm going to make a road. When you come up to a thicket and there's thorns and there's trials and there's obstacles, you say, we cannot overcome in order to accomplish the vision. God said, watch out, I'm bringing the spiritual bulldozer along and I'm gonna pave a way. I'm gonna make a road Amen. through the wilderness. He didn't say he'd make a path. 
He didn't say he'd make a way. He said he'd make a road. He'd make a highway right through the middle of our difficulties. And the second thing he said was, and I wish I had time to preach on these two points, that he would make a river in, like in the desert. That when things are coming against you and the forces of hell is up in the heavenly fighting and opposing the move of God, and there's great struggle in the congregation where there's dryness and there's fight and there's war. God said, don't worry about it because I'm going to bring the refreshing of the Lord. I'm going to bring the outpourings of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say that the obstacles wouldn't be there. But he says, as you face them, I'll make a way through them and give you the power and the strength to go through them. Would you stand with me this morning? This is why I've called the 21 day of fast at the Palace of Praise. We're on day five. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. And we're fasting. I'm repenting of everything I know to repent of and I'm cleansing myself from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. I'm doing everything I know to align myself up and then I'm gonna set myself like a flint to seek the face of the Lord and I'm looking forward and I'm not looking backward. My focus is a forward focus. Come on. I got good, I got good news for you and I got bad news for you. I have set my focus so strong that I'm not looking back to see if you're following or not. It don't matter if you're following, I'm going forward. I may go it alone, but I'm going forward. I may be the only one that enjoys the revival, but bless God, I'm gonna have revival. <laughs> Are you with me? I ain't got time. To go back and get the stragglers and beg them and pump them and plead them. No, 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 no. My attention's forward. My attention's on Generation Z. God has spoken to me. And he said, Generation Z is the ones that house the mark of the firebrands of revival. Can I, you believe in that, Zach? You believe in that? Come up here with me. This man's leading Generation Z. Pray for him. You know why Zach's our youth director? Because he's authentic and he's real. He don't chase the latest fads. Come on. You better be thankful of that. He may lose some youth because they're not doing this, they're not doing it don't matter. He's all about discipleship. He's all about relationships. He's all about pulling them in, teaching them, and training them. And he's all about missional work. That's who he is. That's what I admire about him. Can I have an Amen. Statistically wise, if you looked at his success, you would think that these percentages are completely out of whack. Because if you try to compare our church to these statistics, they don't fit. Why? Because we got a good leader. God's visited with us today. What are you going to do with it? Where are you at? How authentic are you going to be? How are you going to allow the church to be changed and the course of the church to be changed by your example, 
by your lifestyle, by the way you worship, by what you put into it, by your effort, by your manifestation, your display of the presence of God. We're going to be just a bunch of spectators and watch, and when it breaks out, then we'll try to participate. No, 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 it won't happen that way. We've got to become real. If we don't become real, Generation C will not have nothing to do with us. They don't want a bunch of just noise. They don't want a Christian concert. They don't want just good singing. Oh, they'll enjoy the good music, but that ain't going to keep them. I'll tell you what's going to keep them is when we come in here and we have all the best of the best and we quit taking it for granted and we start engaging in what God's doing. And this place erupt with the presence of God. They'll know it. They'll see it. They'll recognize it. And revival and an awakening will come to the whole region of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Amen. We're on a 20-day fast, 21-day fast. And I told you to fast any way that the Lord leads you. The Daniel fast, one meal a day, two meal a day, all day, whatever the Lord leads you. There's no criticism, no pressure. I'm just going to give you a little advice here. If we're fasting breakfast and you usually eat at 9, you can't fast to 10 and then eat because that ain't fasting breakfast. you got to fast all the way to lunch. If you're fasting the noon meal, you got to fast all the way to supper. And during that time of fasting, you got to seclude yourself somewhere, whether it be in a bathroom, a closet, in a car, wherever you're at. You got to have a little time of prayer, seeking the face of God. What I'm asking you to do with me is come before the throne of God this morning as a people and seek for an awakening and the authenticity of God in the palace of praise. That's what I'm asking you. I want the authentic move of God where people don't have to question, was that God or was it not God? Uh, was that real or was it not real? This morning, you could tell it was real, could you not? The heaviness, the weightiness of God's presence bared witness of what was taking place. This generation has got to see that on a regular, consistent basis. They're not easily won and just coming every now and then and having a move of God will not suffice. We need a move of God every time we come into this place. Then we got to have a move of God out there in our missional work and service as we begin to be, be uh, living epistles unto all men. Would you come up here this morning? Let's gather around the altar for a few moments. Would you intercede and say, God, forgive us. Bring this revival. Bring what we felt today back over and invite the presence of God. Seek for the presence of God. Lay out your heart before him. For, ask God to forgive you of those areas of hypocrisy in your life. Those areas of weakness when you're swayed and by emotion and by feeling and it's all about you. It's all about self-servienthood. It's all about people affirming you. It's a quit stop that. It's about engaging ourselves. Come on, pray with me, church. Get under the burden with me. Huh. God, help us. Father, right now, I intercede. God, minister. Minister your greatness, Father. 
Oh, forgive us, God, of all the hypocrisy. Forgive us of those areas where we've got lived out your faith. God, minister to 